coming up on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. And uh, I just want to use my platform and use my journey to show people that all that's possible. And hopefully they do great things too, because I believe the more people who are going after their goals and dreams and doing the right things in life, um, of just being good people, um, the better this world's going to be. That was our guest for today, Jesse Iwuji. You can hear more from Jesse coming up very soon. But just before we get there, we have to say a big thank you to an overarching sponsor of the show, Hawora. It's a whole person performance well-being growth partner that aims to improve individual and organizational health and well-being by focusing on four key pillars, physical, mental, social, and occupational. If you want to find out more, go to www.haworalife.com. That's H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Today we spoke with Jesse Awuji, NASCAR driver and U.S. Naval officer. Jesse is an American professional NASCAR driver and officer in the U.S. Navy Reserve. He's an analyst for NASCAR, co-founded an eSports sim racing group, is an owner of the Redlist Group, an amazing project, and is very active in the DE&I space as an African-American in the Navy and in NASCAR. Jesse played college football in Annapolis and never lost the Air Force or Army. Go Navy! As a sailor and driver, Jesse has served as an ambassador for both the military and NASCAR communities. In addition to supporting military philanthropic groups, he is also involved in various NASCAR events supporting the armed forces and veterans. We spoke about big goals and not being scared to go after them, keeping the inner child and why he can excel across many things. We asked about his first car and why he got into racing. Jesse spoke about vision and work ethic and about what he takes from being an analyst into his role as a driver. Jesse wants to take over Hollywood. Podcasts like this are made to inspire. This will inspire you. It inspired us. Jesse Wujay, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Quite a story. Dallas, Annapolis, into racing, and, and you're managing to do so many things at such a high level. Um, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show. Where are you calling in from today, Jesse? So uh, right now I'm in Southern California, which, which is where I live. I've, I've lived here in Southern California since... Uh, 2010, ever since basically the Navy decided to station me out here, I've decided that, you know what, I don't want to be in any other stations uh, unless they're in, uh, in, in uh, sunny Southern California. You're certainly a busy man. Are you on active duty at the moment in the Navy? So right now I'm in the reserves. Um, I've been in the reserves the last four years now. Yep. And uh, prior to that, I was active duty from 2010 to 2017. Um, prior to that, I was at the Naval Academy from 2006 to 2010. Prior to that, I was a Dallas, Texas uh, native. And most people have a hobby alongside an occupation. You seem to have one of the best occupations and then also an amazing one, NASCAR driver. <laughs> yeah, so um, my hobby turned into an occupation. Uh, you know, basically, yeah, I've, I've always been into racing. I've always been into cars. I've loved cars and racing since I was a kid, but never got the opportunity to really do it 
because, you know, just growing up in Dallas, football was the biggest thing. And um, racing wasn't going to take me to college. So I needed to do something that was going to give me the opportunity to go to school for free <laughs> and uh, get an education and then set myself up for success in life. And that's what I did through the Naval Academy, which just eventually helped me get towards the next big thing, which was racing professionally in NASCAR. And what is it about racing that kind of soaks you in that you love about it? So racing, uh, you know, for me, just the, the challenge, uh, being on track, being able to drive a race car on track and put together a perfect lap, lap after lap after lap. And you're not always going to be perfect all the time, but when you can do it right and do it right more than others, you typically finish well and maybe even have a shot at even winning the race. So uh, being able to do that, that's what I love about racing because it's, it's so much fun. It's so much focus needed, uh, so much control, and it's an art. Uh, driving a race car is an art. It, there's, it's not just one plus two equals three. It is an art. It's in order to master it, you just have to do it over and over and over. Learn different techniques and skill. Use different sensory organs in your body, not just your eyesight, but you got to use feel the car, be one with the car. You have to see things, hear things, smell things. All these different sensory organs being used all at once to get the race car to go around the track as fast as possible. That's what I love about it. And what would you say from us to our point of view, not being in that driver's seat. What's the biggest difference for people in the stands to being in that seat? What don't we fully appreciate? <laughs> yeah, a lot of things. <laughs> so uh, uh, it's funny because you'll hear different fans. You know, they'll say, "Oh, yeah, this driver sucks for whatever reason." You know, he didn't he didn't win the race, so he sucks. And it's like, "Oh, why can't he be faster?" Blah 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 blah. There's so many factors in racing that is different than any other sport. So, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to come from multiple sports worlds. I played football um, in college for multiple years, all year, all the, all four years at the at the Naval Academy. I ran track. Um, I've, uh, you know, I've played other sports too. And then, you know, now I'm racing. So, you know, in racing, what's different about it is there's another component um, to it. And that's a mechanical component. This is the reason why motorsports hasn't really been allowed in like the Olympics, because there's something that the human element really can't control. Right. So you don't know if your engine is going to blow. You don't know if your engine is not going to be making horsepower that day. There's just a lot of different things that you can't control that, that are out of your hands. So, you know, when you see drivers on track driving, you know, a lot of times you'll see one particular driver, two or three of them, maybe they typically are the ones who are always running up front, always winning races. And yeah, they're very skilled. They're very talented. But the other part people forget is those other drivers who maybe aren't winning as much. They're not, not that they're bad drivers. It's more of sometimes they're just not in the same level of equipment as the other drivers. Even though all the cars, you know, that you see in NASCAR on TV from the grandstands, even though you're looking at the cars from there and they all look the same, they all look like they're all shiny and pretty and they, they're loud and fast. But why is this person way faster than this one? Well, there's a lot of things. I mean, if, if I have a bigger budget than you, then I can pay a better engineer to engineer my car. I can pay for better parts. You know, maybe you have this transmission, but I have one that costs a hundred thousand dollars more or something crazy like that. You know, there's all these different things and it's not really a hundred thousand more for a transmission, but <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? Basically budget plays into it. And that's what the average viewer does not see. They don't see the dollars and cents that go into the race car, especially from the grandstands. So then all of a sudden people's perspective is, is, Hey, if this person wins, that means they they were just the best driver. And that's just not always the case. A lot of it has to do with equipment. In fact, it's majority equipment, part driver. <laughs> and and for, for growing, like you're, you're obviously an exceptional high performer. We've touched on the mechanical elements and how that can be um, come into perspective. 
reflection and and kind of action reviews after you're driving like do you have a process what does that look like from drive to drive when you're you know trying to keep on getting better yeah so after each race for me um what i try to do is i try to look at okay what did i do right and what did i do wrong and i I take those points and i I usually typically try to write them down in some notes on my phone and take that on to the next race and also the next time i'm at that track because i'll see that track you know, either later on in the year or the next year, again and again and again. So you want to always continue to grow. Um, there's always things you can do better. Um, and, you know, with the tracks, even though you're going to see the track again, maybe later on that year or next year or so on, well, it, it's not always going to be the same again, right? So the track surface changes every single year. You know, even though it's concrete or some sort of asphalt or something like that, after, you know, you run a race on it and then after, you know, other events run... A, you know, track events or races on that particular track throughout the year, and then weathering, you know, snow, rain, um, whatever, you know, all that stuff weathers down the track just a little bit more and a little bit more every single year. So that track you're coming back to the next year, even though it's shaped the same, the surface is a little bit different. The temperatures that day that you're racing again, the next time could be different. All these things are playing to effect. So if you can at least figure out the constants and get that right, you know, at least help you get ready and prepared for the variables that are just always going to continue to vary every single time you get to that track. Yeah, that's brilliant. And Jesse, I'd love to just uh, switch for a minute. And what we were just looking up your biography, your website, your LinkedIn, and kind of uh, blown away by the amount of things you do, like red list, obviously analyst, driver, all those sort of things. How do you manage to be exceptional and high performing across so many different spaces. What, what's the secret sauce? Ah, oh, man, secret sauce. I don't even know if there's a secret sauce. Uh, <laughs> it's, send, it uh, up, send it over here. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, um, I, I'm the type of person, I have a really big imagination. I always tell people, like, you know, keep the, keep the child inside of you for as long as possible. Um, because kids have really, really big imaginations. They see a lot of things, and that's what allows them to be really, really impressive. Um, and I, I've tried to maintain that for a really, really long time, and I'm going to continue to maintain it. And that's what allows me to see a lot of things and see myself being in a lot of things and doing a lot of things. So by me seeing it and visually in my mind, uh, seeing the end, seeing what I'm going to become and what I can do, that's what allows me to do it because I don't limit myself. I think that's the biggest thing. I think we can all do a lot of different things. We can all go accomplish a lot of great things. Anything we see in our mind, we can definitely achieve it. But what happens is people tend to start limiting themselves because of maybe their personal fears, maybe their family, friends, or other people outside of them who are just wanting to be negative, people trying to keep them down, saying, hey, you're not meant to be here. You're not supposed to do this. You, Why do you think you can actually accomplish this? This is not for you. You know, all this stuff. We have all these outside external forces trying to uh mold our minds and and write our story at the end of the day god all gave us a vision and that vision was to uh, to see what we were supposed to accomplish and what we're supposed to become and who are we to ever quit on that vision who are we to ever not go after it when he gave us the end goal he literally put it in our mind and said hey like this is where you're going to be and this is what's going to happen why wouldn't we go after it but then we let all these external forces try to write our own story like we know what the story is supposed to be. We need to write our book ourselves. And that's what I do. That's why people see me going and doing all the things I do is because I was given a vision. I saw it. So I need to go after it and achieve it. 
What's your particular process for if you have a moment where you feel lacking confidence or maybe a self-doubt creeps in that gets you that motivation to step outside your comfort zone? Maybe it's before a race, maybe it's before when you're working in one, one of the other companies or maybe when you're a division one athlete. What was it that helped you get over that line, get out of your comfort zone? So that happens all the time. We're human beings. Um, we're not perfect. So we are going to have doubts. So like I was just saying before, there's all the external forces that put things in our minds, which sometimes mold our in the internal force you know, inside of us, you know, basically making us think that we can't do something because of whatever reason. That happens a lot. It happens to me all the time. I mean, every day I have doubts about certain things. I'm like, oh, man, am I going to make this happen? Am I going to get through this? You know, will this pass? You know, that that will happen. And it's okay that that happens. But what helps me is I there's a few things that I like to um, lean back on. One of them is a quote um, I heard from a motivational speaker. And he said, even in the darkest point of the night, the sun will still rise. So no matter what's happening, no matter how bad it might seem, no matter how dark the journey is getting, even in the darkest point of the night, the sun will still rise. So it's going to pass. Like whatever's happening, it'll pass. You can get through it. You will make it to the end. It's okay. And that's what I remind myself a lot of times so that I can get through some tough times. I can get through times where I'm doubting myself because of whatever is happening, or maybe it's not going my way, or it doesn't look too good. That's what I remind myself. And that's what helps me get, get through things. Yeah, that's, that's um, really powerful, Jesse. I'd love to talk a little bit on the, the analyst role. We, we here over in Europe have, you know, soccer players, Premier League footballers, rugby players, Gaelic athletes that pivot into analysis and, and punditry and being commentators. But, but you've kind of married the ability to do both. Do they affect each other? Do you learn from one or the other? Or if you're an analyst, do you then analyze yourself more? What, what's the process around that? And how have you benefited from doing both? Yeah, the, there's a lot of benefits in doing both because I get to see from the TV perspective what they look for, what they like to highlight, what they like to talk about. And then from there, I can take that and be more effective when I'm on track because uh, for as a race car driver, um, you know, it's more than just driving. You got to be somebody who is marketable so that you can maintain the relationships that you have with different businesses that are sponsoring you and partnering with you for different ventures. So by learning what TV likes and what they like to put out, then from there, I can do the right thing so that I can continue to get that TV time <laughs> when I'm on track. And, and that allows for, you know, bigger and better things and to continue to race. So uh, it's great being on both sides so you can see what happens, what they like to see, what they don't like to see, what they don't want to talk about, what they do like to talk about. It helps a lot. And you also do a lot of speaking, impacting companies, individuals. And one of the topics is diversity and inclusion. And we know you're a big supporter of diversity in NASCAR. What has that journey been like for you? Yeah, so uh, yeah, diversity in NASCAR is something that um, is continuing to expand. Um, yeah, it's not at the super fast rate that we want, but um, it, it's happening. And you know, for me, I've always been super supportive of it. Um, I was fortunate enough to win the uh, Diversity Driver of the Year award uh, twice, and it, it's something that has to happen. I mean, I, I think in the sport, we a lot of people when they look at NASCAR, they think it's just one sided that it's just Caucasians and that's it. Right. When it's actually not, there's more than that. But yes, there is. It, we don't have, you know, a lot of African-Americans, Asians, Hispanics, um, you know, folks like that, like really represented, I guess, a lot in, in NASCAR. But we're growing it. And, you know, I do my part by trying to, you know, spread good message and just spread a message of unity. You know, that's what I'm about. I'm not about like division or anything. Sometimes I think over the last couple of years now, 
you know, you start hearing diversity and people start thinking that you're just saying that like there needs to be handouts to people who aren't Caucasian. And it's like, no, that's not it. <laughs> what it is, is we need to diversify as in like, we need to create an environment where all people feel included, not an environment where we're just handing things out because you weren't here before. No, it's more like, hey, let's make sure that you feel like you actually have a chance to, to, to come in and achieve success and that there's no barriers due to your race, religion, or whatever, sex, you know, you name it, you know, because when you say diversity, diversity does not mean just something that means that we need to do something for black people. Diversity means we need to be diverse as the all the different types of people out there in this world. We need to have an inclusive environment that allows all of them to be, uh, to have opportunity to to try to achieve success um, in that in that place. Yeah, I mean, we can think of Danica Patrick, Becky Hammond, and here across in Ireland, there's there's a lot of push for kind of special needs and and Paralympians and and that diversity of thought and how that's really important in organizations and high performing environments. So, um, where is it going? Like, how can how can we get better at it? Is it is it just education and and, and awareness? But in terms of everywhere, how can we get better in this space? Yeah, uh, I think it first starts with education, right? It starts with, you know, kids in schools at early ages, learning, learning the truth, learning the truth about how the world has been, what has happened in the world, real historical fact, not opinion, you know, not like, hey, we need to know more of that. Like, this is what has happened, you know, I, uh, growing up, you know, the history books that we have, you know, taught us about slavery, taught us about, um, you know, things that happened, genocides out there and World War II and, you know, all that, like we learned about that stuff. And I think we need to continue to learn that. Don't take that stuff away. Um, all the stuff that's happened in history, like especially the bad stuff, we, we, we need to see it. We need to learn about it so that we don't repeat it. Because if we don't learn about it, people, people will forget. You know, when you forget history, that's how you repeat it again. So we all need to learn that. I think it starts, you know, for kids and it just needs to be just ingrained in people's minds over and over throughout school on like, hey, this is what has happened in history. This is what is not good. And this is how we can be better so that we don't let this kind of thing happen again. I think we're all in agreement of what's good and bad. Uh, genocide, not good. Slavery, not good. <laughs> People come to, coming together, good, you know? <laughs> so, um, you, know, uh, that, you know, that's how I feel. I feel like education is the best place to start. And at home, too. Um, you know, kids are at school, you know, how many ever hours a day. But, you know, they're also at home how many ever hours a day. So parents, I believe, need to be less ignorant and help educate their kids too at home so that they understand, hey, this is right and this is wrong. Let's be right. Um, the more we can get parents and families to do the right thing at home, I think the less menaces to society we put out there. <laughs> yeah, it's been a huge thing in Ireland through the years with, with religion. So it's it's something that's close to home. We, we, we can relate a little bit to it because we've got plenty of history. Um, we'd, love to, we'd love to pivot a little bit. We were both really intrigued by by the red list group, something you're at a focal point of. We'd love you to unpack that a little bit for, for our tribe, Jesse. Yeah. So the red list group is a business I started back in uh, 2015. And when I was getting into racing, you know, I knew that racing was expensive. I knew that I needed money to figure out a way to get into race cars. So originally I tried to look for sponsorship but finding sponsorship wasn't easy uh, because no one wanted to believe in my journey to begin with. <laughs> so I had to figure out a way to make it happen myself. So I started my own business called the Red List Group. 
And what I did with that business was at first, um, I was hosting drag racing events. So I would uh, rent drag strips and people would run their cars in the quarter mile. And you didn't have to bring a full-blown race car. You could just bring your everyday street car to the track and run the quarter mile and see how fast you could run. And I made the event fun because I wanted to invite the coolest cars there and have spectators there so that, you know, you could bring your card and, and feel like a pro. You know, even though you're not racing in front of a crowd of, you know, 60, 70, 80,000 people at a NASCAR race, you're just racing at the drag strip in front of a crowd of, you know, a thousand people, maybe 2,000 or so. The, the event grew and grew and grew. We got we got to a point where biggest event we had about five, 6,000 people at. And that's pretty cool for an everyday person to be racing their streetcar at the track, you know, off the streets, you know, where it's safe and in front of a huge crowd of people and uh, feel like a pro. And that's what I wanted to do while giving away cash prizes. And the event has grown and grown and grown since 2015. I actually have an event coming up here soon. Um, actually, I have multiple coming up here soon. And uh, it's been great. And since then, it's allowed me to... Um, it's allowed me to expand into other business ventures. Um, now I've also started a trucking company where we have semi trucks uh, hauling Amazon goods uh, all around the country, mainly the West Coast of the U.S. And um, we also have a real estate investing company where we invest in real estate properties and real estate ventures. And then we also have an esports business where uh, I'm actually hosting esports events in the sim racing world where people can basically race from home in their simulator and have a chance to win cash prizes. And our next question is generally what's next, but there's <laughs> not, not sure if we should ask there's that. So much no. going on at the moment. <laughs> no, there, just... is a, there is a what's next though. There really is. <laughs> so, um, you know, always trying to expand the businesses, get them bigger and better. Um, so that, that's definitely always a what's next, but um, also too, I plan, you know, I I'm racing in NASCAR right now, doing all that. I want to be more full-time racing in NASCAR. So, working on all that over the next few years and um, also getting my own racing team together. That's something that I've been working on too. So I'm um, trying to put that together here soon, but uh, um, eventually, you know, I'm only going to race for so long, you know, I'm not going to race till I'm 80. So I feel, feel like maybe sometime in the next like 10 years or so, um, you eventually retire from full-time racing, maybe race part-time after that. But really I want to go, really full-time into Hollywood and be in some big blockbuster films. So I think that's like the next big venture. Excellent. And is there any path that you identified that will get you there? Is it spend all your time in NASCAR, achieve the most you can, and then transition over? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I, I, I do Hollywood stuff here and there outside of it. I think I keep putting the energy into the world and that energy comes back. So I've gotten opportunities to do some stuff in the Hollywood world um, every year. And uh, I want to expand it. I want to get it bigger. And I want to be in some movies and maybe have my own movie. Who knows? <laughs> We'd love to just trace it back a little bit, Jesse. We only have a couple more minutes, but talk a lot about cars. We, we both like our cars here. What was your first car? And did it have a name? What, what was great about that car? What got, maybe it's what started you off. Yeah. So uh, I remember when I was, um, before I was 16, I had told my mom, I, I saw like a Mustang and I was like, I told her, I was like, Hey, my first car is going to be a Mustang, a Ford Mustang. And I remember she laughed at me. I was like, okay, well, it's going to be that, you know? And a few years later, that was my first car. <laughs> so um, I had saw it, you know, I was telling you about the vision thing. That was probably my first time where I had a vision and saw it and achieved it. But um, got a Mustang. Uh, it was it was only it was only a V6 Mustang. It was a 1995 uh, Forest Green <laughs> uh, Ford Mustang V6, 145 horsepower. 
um, had that for a few years. And then in 2008, I believe, I bought a Chrysler 300, um, had that. It was only a V6 again. Um, still didn't have a VA. And then finally, when I graduated from the Naval Academy in 2010, I sold the Chrysler 300. And finally, I was like, I need a faster car. And I bought a car finally with a V8. I bought a Dodge Challenger SRT8. And um, yeah, that that really launched me into going to drag strips, racing all the time. Then I bought a Corvette, started taking it to road course tracks. And then since then, I've bought more cars. I have a, right now, I have a C6 Z06 Corvette. I have a C7 Z06 Corvette and then a uh, Nissan Skyline R32 GTR. Wow. My first car was a Fiat Punto. I don't even think they're in the States. (laughs) (laughs) With all of the stuff that you're doing, if we were to fast forward maybe 50 years, what would you like your impact to have been in any of the fields that you're in? I would like the impact to be one that shows people that any average person, as long as you, you know, follow certain, you know, certain concepts that I follow, you can achieve anything you want in life. You know, the biggest thing is one visualizing it in your head and having a natural vision, seeing it and truly believing in it. Uh, The next step is putting effort towards it, energy towards it on a daily basis. Three, you know, as you're going through that journey, like I mentioned before, it's going to, it'll get tough. There's going to be hard times. You know, you'll get kicked, you'll get hit, you'll fall down, you'll trip, um, you'll fall back, you'll maybe lose some things, maybe you lose it all, whatever, all that stuff happens. But as long as you fully believe in that initial vision, um, you just keep pushing forward, you'll get it back again. And then, you know, never quit. You know, life rewards those who, you know, stay strong enough, long enough. Um, and then by the end, you know, as you're going through this whole journey, just make sure to continue to help people along the way because everyone else is trying to go after their goals to help people where you can you do all this stuff you can achieve whatever you want in life and uh, i just want to use my platform and use my journey to show people that all that's possible and hopefully they do great things too because i believe the more people who are going after their goals and dreams and doing the right things in life um of just being good people um the better this world is going to be you know we don't need more bad people bad people suck <laughs> I'd love to just flip it. We've we projected forward, but say so you're just rocking up at one of those big events, sixty thousand people, and there's a young there's a young Jesse just hopping into uh into a NASCAR car. What what advice would you give to a younger version of Jesse that could be as a driver or just as a person ready to take on the world? The advice I would give that person, he or she, I would say this. I'd be like, look, never let anyone's opinion of you become your reality. That's what I would say. <laughs> and if they can take that on, they will go very far in life. Love that. Excellent advice. The question we ask everyone who comes on the show, and we'd love to get your opinion, Jesse, is what does high performance mean to you? High performance to me means that you are putting all of your energy, all of your focus, and all of your grind into a particular area to achieve a goal that you have set for yourself. And, and when you're putting all of that in there, I believe that's when, when you are performing at your highest, because everyone has a certain level of skill for some things. Everyone is able to do things at certain speed. So by saying one particular way is this is a high performing, like winning is the only way that you're high performing. That's just not true. Everyone has different capabilities and different speeds and, and just able to accomplish things in different ways. So uh, high performing is relative to that person. And when they're putting their full focus, their full energy, full creativeness, and are basically giving it their absolute all for a goal they've set that they are in insane belief that they can achieve. That's when they're high performing. 
Jesse Wuja, we'd like to say thank you very much from, from the two of us here across the Atlantic for giving us your time, sharing your story, sharing your learnings. We've got an awful lot from it, and I'm sure everyone that listens to this today will, will get an awful lot from it. So wishing you the very best. Stay, fit, stay healthy. And we're really looking forward to seeing what unfolds with your, the rest of your story. Thank you so much um, for having me on the show. And hopefully this inspires other people out there. And like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, keep grinding. Anyone out there listening to this, keep grinding. And remember, life truly rewards those who stay strong enough, long enough. It's excellent. Thank you. Thanks, Jess. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.